Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you. We will hit a bit of prayer towards the, um, well, we'll see it all throughout my message, but um, we, we are being drawn to prayer. And uh, this week we are praying in person, 7 a.m., Monday through Thursday, and also at noon here in person, Monday through Thursday. And we invite you to come and pray with us. So today we are continuing our teaching series through Nehemiah. Um, I mentioned that to you uh, last week that we are going through Nehemiah for nine weeks. There is a small piece of paper underneath each of your chair. And Donnie, would you bring me, I forgot to bring mine up here. Would you take that out? And I want you to hold it in your non-dominant hand. If you are at home, you can easily make this piece of paper. You see it here, exactly what it says. This is Paul, Philippians 3.20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which, we also e- from which also we eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it has the words upstream and downstream. We're going to talk about some of these concepts. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the challenge for you right now. Is I want everybody to hold this in your non-dominant hand for the whole message. And we're going to come back to this a little bit. I'm going to join with you on that. Preach with this in my hand. It will make sense as we go through. Hmm. Well, Nehemiah, we started last week. I encourage you to go back to last week. If you didn't review the message yet, I give a lot of context for Nehemiah and what was happening. But I'll remind you that Nehemiah is, is um, the Jews don't have a nation at this point. They're in exile. The king has given them permission to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And he is also... Um, Nehemiah has heard that things aren't going well for those Jews. He's just heard the bad news that things aren't going well. And what does he first do? He prays. So this is what we will work our way through today. This is, uh, as I mentioned last week, Nehemiah is a memoir. It's an autobiography. So when he says, I, he's speaking of himself. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, this is his prayer, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you in my father's house. I and my father's house have sinned. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. This is what they have just experienced. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered in the, though those of you who have been scattered were in the remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. The final part of his prayer: They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I beseech you. May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Lord, this is your word. 
Thank you for this prayer recorded for us. As we study, as we consider, help us. Help us make application to our own life and what this means. Well, humans are always learning. As Nehemiah and the people that he loved were learning, learning the hard lessons of doing it our way. This is common throughout history. The basic essence of being a fallen human is thinking that we know better than God. Yeah. But as a counterformative community of Jesus, that's what we are. We're being counterformed into the way of following God. We must do it differently. We have a different allegiance. We have a responsibility to show the world what trusting God is all about. Now remember, we talked about this last week, that we are a colony, an outpost. That's what we are becoming. Being planted by Jesus, witnessing to a world what his kingdom is all about. The kingdoms of this world say they reign, but what is true is the kingdom of Jesus reigns. So, but it's hard to trust God. Um, (laughs) But think of it, (laughs) think of it like this. (laughs) If you and I decided to defy gravity, we just thought, you know what? Gravity doesn't, isn't really real. (laughs) We would quickly learn, right? Just jump off the stage, you know, we'd learn gravity is indeed real. We might even have ideas about whether gravity should or shouldn't be. We might have complaints about the inconvenience that gravity poses to our lives, right? But it works every time. And the same is true with God. God is God every single time. Now, I don't want you to think of God like a static law of physics, um, with ever predictable reactions. (laughs) That's not the image I want to invoke because God is creative and he's surprising and he's risky. How do we know he's risky? He created you. That's a big gamble right there. (laughs) When it comes to the way things are, however, we are invited to exist in his home field. We exist in his creation. While he invites us to steward his creation and each other, and to even, the scriptures say, to co-create with them, to continue to engage with this world with him, he does not ask us what integrity should look like. He does not ask us to decide what right or wrong is. Rather, he invites us to live out his love, his love, which is his very nature. Listen, we don't teach God about reality, but rather we learn about reality from him. This is what the Christian colony learns and attests to. Are you following me so far? Yeah. We have a phrase that we have learned here in our Christian outpost. God, you are God and I am not. (laughs) It's a simple way to begin the day. We laugh because it's obvious, mostly, for us to acknowledge that reality. However, we often live as if we were God. And then we ask God to bless our efforts or hope for his magical spiritual power to help us accomplish what it is that we want. This is often how we approach prayer. We ask God to help us with our own efforts or to guide us according to our own perspectives. (laughs) (laughs) This is obvious to me (laughs) when I look at man-made governments. That is very normal and natural for the undiscerning Christian to say, God, bless what we have created, please. 
And I'll remind you, and we're going to go a little bit more deeply here in a moment, that man-made governments are the outposts of the kingdoms of man. So I'm going to take a few moments to explain to you the nature of governments relative to God and his church, and then we'll come back to Nehemiah, and we'll see how they were learning some of the same difficult lessons. Before you get upset as I talk about government or politics, consider this. This recent season has revealed that we need to be discipled in how Christians interact with the government. We need to be discipled. As we shall see in Nehemiah, and it's all through the scriptures once you begin to see it, the children of Israel had overestimated their own man-made system of government, and they paid dearly for it. We have much to learn. This is what the scriptures are for, to shape us. Remember, he's orienting us to his reality, not we are not orienting God to our reality. You're following, right? That makes sense. But our culture has already discipled us and told us what is real and what is most important. And every nation, and even a nation like ours, as good-hearted as it might be, has supplanted the overarching reality of what life is all about. And so we as Christians have to unlearn that. So I'm going to help us today by giving us an overview of governments. And we're going to go back and we're going to pan out. And I hope in the least that you have some perspective going away that can be helpful. And it certainly presents many questions. And I'd be happy to help with Whatever. So here's the first reality. God governs and he creates order. This is what we see from the very beginning. All systems of nature show order from the tree leaf to the ocean. There is an ordering that is profound. God is a God of order. And even certain groupings among animals, there is hierarchical leadership. As we just observe creation, here we have the silverback gorilla who's in charge of, do, do you know what their, their, uh, their, their little group is called? It's called a shrewdness. <laughs> Isn't that shrewd? <laughs> so a, a silverback takes, you saw him, move towards food and then away from danger. That God delegates and gives responsibility. So we don't have to look too far, just in those brief examples, to recognize that God loves order and at times uses hierarchy for the sake of the whole. Now, I'm going to paint a little bit broadly here, but it gets at what I see in the scriptures this morning and also the moment that we are in, and particularly the moment that Christians are in as the world rages in the way that it always has. So, again, stepping back, God is a God of order, and then God created man and woman to be led by him. God governs, and the way he intended it's very clear that under his authority, under his love and care, God would guide men and women. But he also, in his amazing creativity, he gave mankind the ability to choose him or reject him. And what happened? We know the story, but it helps us to understand what's happening here. Man rebelled against God. Man said, um, nope. <laughs> God in his grace did not destroy all of mankind, but he allowed for man to continue on. Again, broad brushstrokes. There's a lot of interesting stories along the way. But, and this is amazing. The fact that we are all now given the opportunity to learn to trust God again. This is what the kingdom is, is us relearning how it is supposed to be. We're going back to how it is supposed to be under his lordship and his care. Man rebelled against 
um, God. So, again, as we continue, <laughs> apart from God, man decided to rule himself. Okay, so now man has said, we will do this on our own, thank you. And God said, I will let you do that. It's going to be hard. We call it the curse. <laughs> man being created in the image of God, though man is created in the image of God and wants order and wants unity. And so man began to attempt to do that. And so if you look back in history, you can see that, I mean, this is broad brushstrokes, right? And I'm not an anthropologist, so I don't, <laughs> but you can see this threat history. Tribes formed. People say, you look like me, you're like me, you're related to me, and let's be together, and let's create some sort of order. And then we see cities forming, larger tribe groups and places of commerce and, and industry, and a certain ordering that would begin to happen. And then after that, governments form, where there's a, a, a group of people or a person who, for however they do it, they, they form a government and the common good was sought. And this is what governments are. They provide laws and penalties and they decide what norms are and what borders are. And a border then says, those people are not like us. These are the ones that need to be like us. And that's what governments are. And then wars were waged between tribes and some tribes would win and then win again. And eventually as tribes won and absorbed other people into their people, large Large, overarching governments were formed, and we call those empires. We could call it the kingdom of man. Now, the Bible, if we is written, if you, if you read through the Bible, the Bible is written to people who were oppressed by these empires that pop up in history. We're familiar with them. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Roman Empire when you get to the time of Jesus. At one point in their history, even, the people of Israel became a sort of empire. When Solomon reigned and they had rule and reign and they were now another empire. I'll remind you that God never wanted that. But he allowed the people to walk it out. So remember what we said about mankind always doing it our way? You know what the most dangerous thing about the empires of men are? They create what Walter Brueggemann calls totalism. An empire seeks to provide the whole vision for all of the cosmos. It demands allegiance and promises to provide only what God can provide. A true promise about reality, a secure hope about the future. If you step back and think about what our, the empire we live in, does. It demands to hold all of reality to describe who's good and who's bad, who's wrong, who's in, who's out, what the vision of life should be about. It creates sacred icons that we're all asked to pledge our allegiance to. And it promises that if we will do these things, then we all get to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you see what an empire does? It seeks to create a vision that only God is in charge of. And he's the one that's doing it. And remember, these are man-made systems. The march of empires continues on. All with the promises of being the hope the world needs. Think of the communist USSR. Think of colonial Britain. And think of our favorite empire, the United States of America. It seeks to be the beacon of hope for the whole world. 
It promises, did you hear? I mean, again, every inauguration, <laughs> a president will again say, and we will be the light shining <laughs> on a hill for all the nations to see. I'm sorry, but as a Christian, God is the one who can say that. Empires have over and over again used violence and coercion to bring about their vision, as good-hearted as they might be. Brian Zahn, author that I really appreciate, he says this, Empire is always bloody in tooth and claw. Christians never thought Caesar was capable of carrying out the work of Christ. He's talking about the early church. Caesar advances the interests of the principalities and powers by wounding and killing the weak. Christ advances his kingdom by being a lamb wounded and killed. That's in a book called Postcards from Babylon, The Church in American Exile. The only, only allegiance to God and Christ, being loved by him and loving him, can change hearts. That's the only thing that can absolutely change hearts. So back to governments. Every man-made government, because they are man-made, is going to contain elements that are counter to God. I, I'm giving you like a big broad brush over here because I want us to wrestle with some of them, like totalitarian regimes, are so opposed to God that it's really obvious. <laughs> it's really obvious. Like that is not, you know, we can look back at like some of the stuff the Babylonians did and it was just so vicious and cruel and we're just like, yeah, it shouldn't be like that. However, democracies are less obviously counter to God. Less obviously, and there's a variety of reasons for this, but they still cannot contain or fully express God <laughs> because, because we are self-governed. It's, it's right in our language. We are self-governed, man governing himself. And man will never be able to govern in the way that God does. We were never called to govern over each other in the way that God does. So even governments that are formed seeking God or respectful of God are still man-made and they're prone to all sorts of errors. Now, we should respect governments warily. <laughs> we should be appreciative of good ones, but we should never rely on any form of a government or expect that one form of government is inherently godly. In its very essence, particularly empires will be anti-God in their fullest expression. At some point, all systems of man-centered governance will be mistaken they will attempt to rival the one true God and subvert his way. And sometimes that subversion is done with great intention. We see Hitler, but sometimes or often governments are on a trajectory of man solving man-created problems, and we tend to create more problems with every solution. Often governments are on a trajectory of man solving man-created problems, and then we tend to create more problems with every solution. So I appreciate and respect our system of government. And I notice that whichever party's in charge, there's a lot of talk about God. This last inauguration was no different. And I'm reminded of the previous administration and how much talk there was about prayer and Christianity. But I am wary. I am wary of these images. Do you see them? Siri, I don't want you. Go away. I'm wary of these images. Both seeking 
to use God to the ends of their agenda for the American empire, which does not have the ends of God in mind, nor the means to carry it out. It sounds like when we <laughs> attach deep-seated belief, it sounds like we're saying, please bless our wisdom. Please bless our way. Please, oh, please, oh, please. Or worse, well-meaning people attach the label of Christianity to their party, to their leader, and unfortunately mislead and malign the pure witness of Christ in the world. We see this playing out. This is not a partisan comment. This is what happens. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Kamala Harris putting her hand on the Bible and the next day touting her appreciation for Roe v. Wade. It's anathema. In the same way, Donald Trump using tear gas to clear people out for a photo op with the Bible in his hand. That's anathema. That's a disgrace. I am wary and you should be too. Now here's the wonderful thing about our government. And this relates to that phrase that's on your paper. Who we see in power or what laws are made or what laws are refuted are all downstream of the general public. So the way it works pretty much within our society is the general moral will and spiritual health of the public. That's the upstream. That's us, the general public, through the means of our government, which are elections and nominations, etc. <laughs> through those means, then laws are put into place, elected officials and decisions. Our focus tends to go on what those laws are or who those leaders are. And because they're sometimes striking to us, like, what? How did we get here? Well, in our system, we just go back to what? We are represented. The general moral will and spiritual health of the public comes out downstream, as it were. Downstream. Do you want to know the temperature of our culture? Look at our leaders, look at our policies. <laughs> you want to understand what our moral priorities are? <laughs> look downstream. And we see it. Now, praise God. I appreciate that we have a woman vice president. That's, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. I like the diversity stuff. I mean, there's good things. But the moral temperature of our country, <laughs> it's not just that we accept wrong is right. We seem quite comfortable dictating to the world and the whole of history a relative morality that is constantly redefining the important and sacred ways of being that God created. We are saying, I am God, you are not. Over and over again. It seems like we have some work upstream to do. Are you with me? This is where it gets to our task of being a colony in this world. We have, this is where the church, this is where our role is. It is upstream. Are, are you getting me here? We have work to do. We need to disciple more people. We need to draw more people into relationship with Jesus. We need to disciple more people, not as Republicans or conservatives or progressives or Democrats, but as Jesus followers. Are you with me here? We need to abide with him. We need to ingest him. We need to eat of his word. We need to grow in love with him so that he beams through us. Humans are always learning the hard lesson of doing it our own way. And Christians in America are learning the lesson. And we must repent of trusting anything above him or trusting the systems of this world. God does it his way. He's chosen to reveal himself in a way that he deems fit through the scriptures, through this 
people of Israel. We turn to them again today and we study the people of Israel as we do from nearly 2,500 years ago. We certainly will see ourselves right in the middle of the scriptures. We are exiles. We, set, we talked about this last week. Th this world is foreign to us. Duplicity, blasphemy, that's foreign to us. We are called to live as people in integrity. It gives us clues as we go through Nehemiah of what to pray, how to pray, what to consider, the work that is ahead of us to rebuild. Not a nation, not rebuild a nation. Nations come and go, but to rebuild the people of God who attest as citizens of heaven this reality that is far better and, out, and will outlast all kingdoms of this world. So as I reminded you, Nehemiah, he's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, the Persian king. He's on his winter retreat in Susa, <laughs> playing golf, I don't know. <laughs> Nehemiah has asked his brother about the Jews. The news isn't good, and Nehemiah's memoir records him praying. And I want us to focus on two of these verses to help give us some sense. He says to the Lord, he says, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. So now we come to it. I just want us to focus on three things briefly. And it's in keeping with where we're going and what we're doing as a church right now. We come to it. Prayer, confession, and repentance. This is the first step of rebuilding. Whether that be our lives or our church or our society, we pray, we confess, we repent. Prayer. Nehemiah is praying. He says, let your ear now be attentive. Your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant which I am praying for you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel. He's clearly pleading. He's, he's, he's been weeping. There's a desperation that says, only you can do this. Yesterday in my devotions, as I was reading the, the words of Jesus, I had a fresh reminder of how different his kingdom is. And I said, Lord, give me the courage to feel righteous guilt for how I have missed it. Nehemiah is pleading. He's asking to be heard. Nehemiah does not meander around. He's not just doing some sort of formal recitation. Rather, he is knocking loudly at heaven's door. We must be people that pray during this time and learn how to pray. We are providing more opportunities for you to do that. I invite you to come with us as we fumble our way through learning to pray. 7 a.m., and 12 p.m. Monday through Thursday. Eugene Peterson, who I enormously appreciate, he says, the way in which Jesus is the way is not a matter of style or expedience, nor is it a generality, a vague pointing in an upward direction. Prayerfully and scripturally attentive, Jesus deliberately chose the way he would live. And listen, if we choose to follow him, we must be just as prayerful. We must be just as devoted to getting his sense of what is going on 
in the scriptures and how that applies within our life. It is not business as usual. Prayer is hard. Prayer requires energy. It requires time. Prayer is not just what we do when all is lost. Rather, all will be lost if we don't first pray. We must pray with passion. <laughs> I've, I've, I've noted that I am more emotional than a lot of my Caucasian and white brothers and sisters. And so sometimes my passion will cause them to feel uncomfortable. And I want to say to them, you should go to Africa and listen to the Africans pray. You should go to Guatemala and listen to the Guatemalans pray. It is all of them in a cacophony of passionate prayer interceding before God. Let us be a passionate people. Are you with me? <laughs> prayer is being turned towards God in hope and anticipation towards him. It is not lost on me that we tend to pray most when we are in trouble. When we have come to the end of ourselves, we pray. But what if we began every day with a fresh recognition that we are at the end of ourselves, that the empire has misled us? What if we said that? Like, whoa, I'm being lied to all the time. I'm being lied to all the time. <laughs> God's will is not going to come through the ends of an empire, but it's going to come through the kingdom, which is alive. It's real. It's right here. In these verses, we see confession. This is a corporate confession. He's confessing for sins that were before. He says, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. Listen, there's a great need for personal confession and for corporate confession. In all ca cases, listen, we repent as Christians to God, not first as members of a nation confessing to a national God. I have not appreciated some of the prayers of our so-called Christian leaders who has come before God as Americans first, suggesting somehow that God prefers to hear the prayers of Americans over and against any other people on earth. And far be it from us to suggest that we deserve privilege when we already have so much of it. We can mourn the reality of laws that are immoral, but listen, we should mourn that. But our confession on sin is this, that we are seeking to trust the systems of laws to validate our land rather than trusting God, prioritizing God, and therefore becoming like God. Remember, no law can change a person's heart. Even God's law, <laughs> Paul says, does not do that good work. And no society is anything but a collection of persons. And so if we want that society to be godly, we need to first focus on the task of trusting God. Our confession is we don't know what it's like to follow you. We've been duped. Today, this is our task of confession. We've thought too little about God. We have not heeded his word. We've allowed partisan political agendas and personalities to direct us and prioritize us. That is where we need to confess. All true confession is a specific admission that we are not Christ. Christ, who was not altered in his mission by the pressure of the empire all the way to the cross, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Anytime we are not doing what the Father is doing, it's a confession. We are not like Christ and we have work to do. Listen, to be him means to also refuse the temptation to take up coercive power via the sword, via politics, etc., and once we have confessed, we repent. That means we go the other way. 
Nehemiah says, we've acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances. These are actions. He's saying we've done the wrong actions. We need to go a different way. We need to follow these things. Repentance means to turn away from that which we have previously done or trusted. It is the counteraction to the false action. It requires mental and physical effort. It requires humility and action. Remember, everything we undertake for the sake of Christ builds up our little Christian colony. We would be foolish not to seek deep repentance. Deep repentance for the ways that we have subjected ourselves to be lured into the lies of the empire and her grand promises that belong to God alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very concerned about the trajectory of the German church. And he wrote out of that very deep concern. And he recognized that in the church, (laughs) that in the church, out of our belief that we are saved by faith and not of works, had eliminated the ability for pastors to call people into great works of service and sacrifice and humility. And he wrote this. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. If you're like me, those words hit hard because mostly we want to feel better, by the way, which is exactly the lie of the empire. Yes, go to church that exalts the values of the empire and feel a little bit better about things are feel better because you look like the people around you and you all think the same and you probably all voted the same feel better about that. That's the lie of the empire trying to smash out of you the power of Jesus Christ, which wants to be exalted in the here and now. Nehemiah led the way we have acted corruptly against you. We have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. He recalls and records the prayer so that we too know what it needs to take place. First, in order for our Christian community to rebuild, we must turn from trusting man-made systems. Trusting ourselves and humbly accept his leadership in our lives. And we all agreed at the beginning, his ways are better. We sang it this morning. You can have it all. We said we're going to make room. That's what we said. That's what we sang. That's what we want. I know that's what we want. But the actuality of that requires some deep stuff from us. And I'm committed as your pastor to continue to press gently with love and grace into this next era that all of the Western world is pivoting into. We have some work to do. Let's do it together. Some thoughts for what is next. You can't do this alone. We've talked to you about that with community groups. We invite you, if you're brand new to us, you've been hanging out for a while, join a community group. Go to inewhope.org and get registered to be a part of a community group. We have to do this together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks a lot about that, that we are not the Christian individual. We are the Christian community. We are pulled up by each other, and we need support around us. This week, pray first. Follow Nehemiah. He heard, the, he heard the bad news. He heard the bad report. And what did he do? He, he prayed first. You can come join us Monday through Thursday, 7 a.m. or 12 p.m. this week to pray with us. This week, confess your political ideology. Uh, 
idolatry. <laughs> that's the word. Your ideology too, that's fine. <laughs> but, oh man, if you recognize, whoa, I have been overly partisan and not committed as much to Jesus. Just confess that and then repent of it. That's the fourth thing there. Turning off, turning away, look to God in Christ. Ah. Hmm. Okay, everybody got that small piece of paper in your hand still? Yep. On is this verse. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the challenge for you. I want you to hold this in your non-dominant hand for the rest of the day. <laughs> and every time it's an inconvenience, every time it makes life a little bit awkward for you, I want you to think about that's exactly the way of the kingdom too. Everything around us has discipled us to live this normal life, but the kingdom comes in and Jesus said, it's like a mustard seed. It's planted, but then it changes everything. All day, look at that. And then look at that pattern and decide to be an upstream person. I have work to do. I need to tell people about Jesus. I need to invite them to church. Decide to be an upstream person. That is saying, I, I need to commit to and I need to support my local church. I need to pray for my leaders. I need to pray. Be an upstream person. Allow that to remind you. And every time it's challenging, <laughs> every time it makes you change your rhythm, just remember, oh yeah, that's what it means to be a Christ follower. To change by degrees this treasure that we each hold together. Hmm. Next week we'll we'll see the favor that came in the life of Nehemiah as he contended and prayed first. And I believe that for us, there's favor that we are going to experience as we are aligned underneath his banner, his kingship, his lordship first and foremost. Are you with me? Let's do it together. Father, Son, and Spirit, I pray that you would, this message, that you would take it deep into our hearts that we would recognize how easily we are prone to go our own way, to trust what we see around us, to be easily duped by the systems of this world. I pray, Lord Jesus, that whatever questions come about, that we would first remember that we are citizens of your kingdom that is expanding here on earth, that our place and our identity is not first in the country that we happen to live in, and our rights and our privileges are first found of being sons and daughters of you. I pray that that would go deeply into our hearts this week and today, of course. But Lord, as we look into the future, <laughs> this great pivot that we are all moving through, I pray. <laughs> I pray that you would help us to live this way for a long time, devoted unto you, following you, being founded in you and you alone. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <sighs> well, thank you for having the courage and the fortitude to stick through, which can be a tough conversation anytime politics or government is brought up.
And um, as always, you can email me if you have questions or thoughts or concerns, or if I can clarify anything that I said, I would be glad to. I enjoy those conversations, particularly if something gets hung up in your craw, you know, so to speak. <laughs> you got a pebble in your shoe. Oh, let's talk it out. Um, I'm a pretty good listener, and I'd be glad to hear where you're coming from. All right, let's stand together, gather your stuff. <laughs> kids, you've done great. Can we give it up for the kids? Yeah. And thank you, Donya and her team, for what she's doing to care for our families each and every week. We are really grateful. Hmm. All right. Well, I will give you a brief benediction, and then you will be dismissed. Now him who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. And may that God go with you today and be a blessing to the world that desperately needs the love of Christ. You are dismissed. See you next time.